Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. All right, welcome back to Mailbox Money. I am Ryan Kruger. He is Jackson Wood, and we are delighted to be here with you. I'm a little more excited than usual because I get to listen and learn and sit back. Um, there is a digital native that I have to share with you and to break, take us on a tour of the crypto asset world today, and it feels like Jurassic Park to this digital dinosaur. So I'm lucky to have found a native um, that knows the language. Um, it's been involved personally since 2012. And it took me a long time to get my head around this topic that I've just been more and more curious since. And you don't get, um, I don't care how curious you want to be and how modern you want to stay in traditional finance like I've always tried to be, you don't get a new asset class uh, if you're lucky, but every once in a century or two. And as much as I smile and laugh about that, there, there's nothing more serious potentially a topic than that also. So we're going to dig right into the investment implications that could change lives, which is what we're here to do at the very least to break this down in a more understandable way. Um, if it gets you to any better place along your path, if you're doing this on your own, to pique some curiosity. If you want a trusted guide, we're here to answer those questions as well. Um, I guess the reason I wanted to ask Jackson to go deep on this topic today is I've heard, and my only pet peeve with folks that are picking on crypto is all of the crashes, all of the risk, all of the volatility, um, which I'm, I'm used to in my world. I've been in the stock and bond market for the last three decades. Um, and, and crashes always feel a little different depending on where you are. And if you zoom out, what could have been done to benefit from those? And at the very least, I would not get intimidated or bullied out of something by someone who's telling you too risky, it's crashing. Let's at least talk about the facts. Let's at least talk about the math. Let's at least be objective. Um, and somebody who has decided ahead of time that crypto is not for them or it's too risky probably secretly means like me five years ago, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just humble enough to admit I don't know what I'm talking about. I want to find an expert. So, Jackson, I want to set the stage because I saved, and I, you know me, I'm old school dinosaur here. Um, I save actual newspaper clippings. You're going to talk to us about digital assets here in a second. In the New York Times, February 19th, 2020, taped to my wall, it's like the end of the world. Now, if you're somewhat new to investing, there's been a lot of ends of the world, so I got a whole lot of these. But most recently, and it's been a very, very crazy couple years since then, over the next three weeks after that headline, Jackson, Bitcoin was down 49% in three weeks. One year later, it's cut in half again. Less than a year after that, Bitcoin plunges 58%. And all the headlines and opinions that swirl around each one of those. Three crashes, less than three years. But I noticed something else happened since that most recent of many end of the world headlines. Over that exact same time period, including all those crashes, Bitcoin's value has tripled. 
I am here to say that whatever the speculative asset, and we're going to frame this, let's make no bones about it. It is speculative, just like a lot of other investments. It is never the market that is the problem. It's the wrong money in them. If we treat this as a speculative investment, to me, venture capital, and approach it the right way, using that math and that even recent most worst of experience and still coming out on the right side, I am opening my account with you. I'm happy to share why. Walk us through, Jackson, your perspective of now that this has got to the attention and the crashes, you've been in this since 2012. You thought you missed it when it went from $8 to $14. That's so right. you have a little bit different perspective than the rest of us. I am honored to listen and learn from you as I have for several years. I'm gonna try to bring everybody along that path with me. I love it, I appreciate it. So I, I think one of the things you said there is extremely important in, in terms of framing this correctly. So we know Bitcoin is a speculative asset class and not just Bitcoin, the other cryptocurrencies and some of the other tokens that we're excited about. Um, but if you frame it correctly, the market's not the problem, it's the money in them, right? A lot of people are putting money that they need into these speculative assets. And so getting it right from the beginning, the first dollar you allocate into this asset class um, can't be money that you're gonna need back anytime soon. Uh, so you've got to frame it right. And then at that point, this volatility and the nature of these crypto markets um, goes from being this very terrifying, gut-wrenching roller coaster to you see it as an opportunity, right? If I, I tell my, my wife, hey, if Target slashed their prices by 50%, whatever you were doing, wherever you were, I don't know why she loves Target so much, she would drop whatever it is and go spend all the money that we have at di buying stuff on discount at Target or, you know, insert, it's a golf galaxy for me, right? Um, so when we, when we think about crashes in that context and, and the money that you allocate there, it becomes this really kind of fun journey to be on and you can start taking advantage of some of these, some of these dips. Um, so I just want to kind of put it in context of, of volatility is par for the course to my second golf reference uh, in crypto. There is nothing new to these big severe crashes. And for some reason it's still making headlines. So the first big crypto crash was Bitcoin July, 2011. So even before I got involved, the price momentarily spiked up to $32 per Bitcoin. And then within a month, it had crashed back down to $2. And so imagine writing that from $32 down to $2. So we built Bitcoin, we start, you know, all these exchanges start coming online. Mount Gox was the most popular way to buy Bitcoin. Um, go through 2012, August of 2012, it crashes another 56% from its high. Um, April of 2013, we lost 83%. The price went from uh, 260 bucks down, 83% below that. What happened um, during that period was this exchange that was in, in Japan, it was the biggest Bitcoin exchange at the time. It was called Mt. Gox, um, kind of a joke on you know Fort Knox, right? So Mt. Gox got hacked and almost all of the Bitcoins on the exchange were gone. Right. I had some Bitcoins that got hacked. One of my best friends had his giant stack of Bitcoins stolen from him um, and the price came down. And at that point, you know, we were maybe a couple of years into this asset class existing. We thought, oh, it's game over at that point. Nope. It continued. So then we go from down 83 percent in 2000 and, or in April of 2013 
to down again December of 2013, we lost 50% in 24 hours. So that one came around because China decided to ban Bitcoin mining outright entirely, and the network crashed by 50% overnight. So I remember when that happened, I remember at that point, Litecoin existed. We had Ripple. We had a couple of other coins. Ethereum wasn't even a thing yet. And we crashed 50% in one night. That one was pretty brutal. Um, but then after that, Bitcoin kind of went into this period of consolidation. And, and it, a lot of people forgot about it for quite some time until we got to 2016. And we started to go through at the end of 2016 and into 2017, the big bull market that everybody started to talk about that got the attention of everybody, where Bitcoin went from below $1,000 all the way by the by December of 2017, it hit $20,000 on Coinbase. Um, and it's important, Bitcoin was still trading at different prices on different exchanges because there wasn't kind of this stable coin ecosystem to, to stabilize the prices. Um, so we hit from under 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 $1,000, excuse me, to over $20,000, I think it's $20,000 and like $10 um, in one year. So other assets at that point went wild as well. So Bitcoin actually was one of the um, more kind of underperforming of all the coins. Ethereum had a remarkable year that year. A lot of other cryptocurrencies had incredible years that year. The ICO craze was a thing. People were instant millionaires overnight just from you know contributing to ICOs, initial coin offerings. Um, and then it began the slow crash down from 20,000 to just a couple of days after that headline in the New York Times when it felt like the end of the world, uh, Bitcoin hit $3,500 per coin in March of 2020. And you know, you think about $20,000 down to $3,500, uh, pretty brutal to invest if you had the wrong kind of money invested there. Um, as soon as the, the coronavirus, you know, wiped out a bunch of, you know, value in the markets and in the crypto market, it hit the crypto market as well. Then we started the kind of breakout into this new bull market. We peaked at a price of $64,000 in the summer of 2021, crashed back down. 50% uh, below that into the 20,000s. And then immediately right after that spiked again, back up to 69,000. And now we're trading right about 30,000, 31,000. So if you think about like a price, like that, that roller coaster you're on, um, a lot of people will look at the drawdowns from all time high. A lot of people psychologically think, oh, here's how much money I had. And they will always benchmark against their all time high instead of saying, you know, in March of 2020, which was two years and a couple months ago, it was $3,500 per coin, and we're at 30,000 right now. Um, that that's that's the way to look at this asset class and to see the the kind of maturity of uh, of the development. And he, and here's a different way to potentially look at it. As we I let you catch your breath, and if, if we haven't lost anybody who's head spinning with all those numbers, and and there's a lot of good smart people that will just feel instinctively like I was guilty of. That just doesn't seem real to me. That just seems too much, too volatile. And I need to understand it. So I'm gonna move on down the road to something I can get like a real business. I'm gonna back a real business and a startup. The other way to potentially look at it and the way I personally just speaking as we will do always on this show, opening up our own playbook, our own account, 
I'm giving Jackson to start with 2% of my own personal money, and it is in my venture capital speculative sleeve. For all the opinions of digital gold, currencies, and all the different things that it may be to some people, to me, it's an at-risk asset at the extreme, no different than any other venture capital and the greatest potential success stories that could also go to zero. The one bug some folks would say in a lot of those investments, the volatility and they're liquid and, and Bitcoin's gonna change that. It's decentralized, it's transparent, it's peer-to-peer -peer, and it's 24 hours and all that stuff. I think there's a potential of it being too accessible, too much in our face, all these different headlines. You know, a, a feature, not a bug of my other venture capital or private investments, I have absolutely no idea what they're worth today. <laughs> right. I have to beg for a K-1 <laughs> months late every year. There is something to be said about that private at risk at the extreme. That's my personal opinion. All the Bitcoin enthusiasts can disagree and say how much it's going to take over all of our lives. And I hope it does for their sakes. But for me, the other way to potentially look at this is the venture capital illiquid markets. As long as you only put a tiny amount of your nest egg at risk, I'll say it again, the markets are never the problem, whether it be stock market crashes, real estate, venture capital, tech, or this emerging crypto assets asset class. It's just the wrong money in it that would have anybody focus too much or worry too much about any of that volatility and need it back and then going to get it back. I just don't look at it that way. And I think that might set you up to have a whole different experience. Now, I'm, I'm excited, Jackson, about rolling up your sleeves and you telling us along that line. And I think it could be the ultimate venture capital emerging technology. Forget the percentages and how much and the prices and the risks. Let's talk about the action, what changed my mind the most about this as an opportunity as a truly disruptive technology, as if I was back in the mid 90s, when my career started, instead of having to pick an internet company, what if I could actually be on the protocol that was the World Wide Web as an original founding principal equity owner? Talk to us about some of the emerging technology itself. Yeah, that's right. So real quick, I just wanna, kind of talk about one thing that I, I've just thought about. So sometime in, in 2015, after, you know, a portion of my Bitcoin position had just lost like 60% of its value overnight, I decided to get on Facebook and I posted this, uh, like post on Facebook. I said, you know, price is the least interesting thing regarding cryptocurrency. It's the underlying technology. And at the time, I think I was just giving myself a pep talk for having lost some of my you know, wishing money or money I was using to pay my student loans. Um, but the, the idea here resonates, right? And I got made fun of on Facebook. I called a nerd for, you know, posting that, but now I see it every year in that memories feature on Facebook, when you can see what you did on that day, you know, years and years ago. And, and I didn't realize it at the time, but that's how true it is. So this underlying technology is the real reason that we allocate to an emerging asset class like cryptocurrency, not the price movement, not the momentum, not we're not looking at this from some trading perspective. We're looking at this as a long-term venture-like investment with a small portion of our money that we have already allocated to speculative assets. And one of the most exciting technologies that, that we see right now is what's happening on Ethereum and layer one smart contract tokens. So I want to break that down to make that a little bit more um, 
digestible and not so much kind of nerd talk here. Um, so Bitcoin is a mo uh, monopurpose asset. It's a one single purpose blockchain. It sends money or Bitcoins from point A to point B. That is all it does. That is all that it is designed to do. That is all that it will ever do. Ethereum and other smart contract enabled uh, blockchains like Ethereum are multi-purpose. So what that means is that Bitcoin, or excuse me, Ethereum on this decentralized blockchain is capable of running decentralized applications. And so you'll hear about, uh, you'll hear the term Web3. And whenever you hear Web3, you always hear NFTs, you always hear DeFi, you always hear ownership. What they're talking about are applications that are decentralized in nature that are running on top of Ethereum itself and powered by the Ethereum blockchain. And so the best way to understand the, the kind of investment thesis behind Ethereum is to think of it as like a planet. So let's assume that we're, you know, jumping from planet to planet in this, you know, universe. We realize, hey, there's this new planet here. We're going to go and we're going to invest into this planet. We're going to, you know, go put some money in, and put people on this planet. And it's got lots of resources, lots of capabilities. So people land on the planet and they start growing their individual economies on one side of the planet and on the other side of the planet. And what it does is it brings the value of the planet as a whole up as different ecosystems and economies are built on top of this planet. That's the exact same thing that happens with Ethereum or other smart contract enabled blockchains. And this is why we take an active approach to managing this because we can watch these networks uh, grow or fail in real time. And so we can allocate accordingly. So as Ethereum rolled out, it's the smart contract enabled blockchain. And all of a sudden people start to realize back in 2015, hey, we can build some really cool technology on top of the Ethereum blockchain. And so, like you said, we knew that the internet was going to be this revolutionary piece of technology, but what you had to do in the 90s was pick your way through different companies and buy the stock. You couldn't buy equity in the protocol itself. Well, in order to run any sort of application on top of Ethereum, you have to one, buy Ethereum tokens, and you have to use Ethereum when you're powering your decentralized applications. So for example, NFTs. People will make fun of, you know, kind of these monkey pictures and the board apes and all that. And there's not a lot of utility there. And they're probably right on some of those. But what NFTs are going to do is create digital ownership uh, on the blockchain. And in order to secure those and own those, you have to transact in Ethereum. So in order to buy an NFT from some seller, I have to send them some Ethereum. It burns it. And then I get, become the owner of this um, NFT. So maybe the NFT goes up or down in value but the total number of Ethereum in existence decreases. And so everybody else that's left holding Ethereum is now you know, holding a bigger percentage of the thing. So I hope that makes sense is as these different economies grow on this planet, the entire value of the planet will increase. As, as Ethereum use case grows, the value of the Ethereum network increases. Do you see, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm glad you are subscribed. If you're on YouTube, you just do you see why I love this guy now? I mean, when when I ask him to break this concept down into layman's terms so a dinosaur like me can understand, he starts with, "All right, to make this easy, let's say you land on a new planet, and and we, and we go from there." And he's not wrong. And I don't. When I landed on that planet, the first order of business for me was, and I think 
a lot of smart folks or people who think they are, and I've been accused of each in different investments, want to figure out, am I smart enough to do this on my own? I think that's the wrong question. I really do. I think that's what will get people in trouble in the stock market or crypto assets or anything. What you really want to do is find a native to that planet. Ideally, someone who's focused entirely and obsessed with that. And I'm going to give you one example of, I mean, this this guy has been brought in from all over the country, including from founders of businesses that I know for Jackson to break this NFT world that was completely confusing to me. And, and when I hear tokens, it almost throws dinosaurs like me off the scent, which is probably part of the opportunity here from the investment world. It's not crowded yet. I mean, we are the earliest of early innings. When I hear tokens, it almost minimizes what's going on here and these shiny objects and that just throws everybody like me off the scent, which I guess was probably how IPOs sounded to somebody who had never heard of those before either. But a token is sharing community equity ownership. And Bingo. one of the most recent examples, Jackson, where somebody was brought in in traditional TradFi land, old school Texas, where he said, we want to open up this business, have outside investors, and we just want to skip the bank the attorneys, and we want the entire community not only to own it directly, but to vote on it, immediately get paid from it. That's that's when tokenization started making sense to me in the real world, which I get really excited about the potential, because I'm here to tell you from traditional finance world, and ours is the most ripe for disruption, there's a lot of friction points. There's a lot of middlemen to get cut out of a lot of deals that's capitalism's dream, and this is just a new asset class that is worth at least a little bit of curiosity. Yeah, so I hope nobody rolled their eyes and shut it off when I said planet. That was the best way I could think of explaining this complicated Ethereum trade. But but I, I'm on record of saying, hey, crypto is not like inventing anything new here. It's just making the plumbing work better. It's making it more efficient. So let me talk one more strategy of why I like tokens and why we pay close attention to tokens in relation to their, um, their equity in a company or kind of incentivizing people to use one of these new protocols. So if you think about like VC, right? And, and the unicorn of unicorns would be Uber in my mind, right? When Uber launched, they had this really good technology. They said, this is going to disrupt the way that people you know, commute, it's going to disrupt the taxi industry, uh, transportation, it's going to be a game-changing uh, technology. But they had this problem where it was like a chicken and the egg problem. We have this really good technology, but we don't have any anybody using it. We can't get drivers, and we can't get people to download it and use it on their phone. So what they do, and they, this is in every industry you can think of that comes out of VC, they raise a bunch of money, and then they subsidize uh, people to use this. So they pay drivers a ton of money. They discount the rides that you take when you first start off. You think about Robinhood. If anybody signs up for Robinhood, you get a free stock, right? This is incentivizing people to use these. And this is a common thing that mega businesses, mega cap businesses have used for a long time. It's nothing new. And the token is just offering this exact same incentive structure, but via future profits, future way to make money. So for example, let's say we launched this new protocol on top of Ethereum. That sounds fancy. It's a fancy way to say, okay, we've got a new business and we need to bring people into the business, whatever it happens to be. NFTs, decentralized exchange, a DeFi protocol, lending and borrowing. So what we're going to do is anybody that has used the protocol or that has interacted with the blockchain, we're going to give them tokens. And they can keep these tokens as an incentive to now 
point people here to advertise for us, to use the technology, to audit our code, to make the entire thing stronger, with the idea being, hey, there's a finite number of tokens. We're going to give some of these away. In crypto, they call it an airdrop. But if you think about the mechanism, it's just the crypto version of solving this chicken and the egg problem that Uber used to do when you would get five free rides when you'd sign when you'd send a referral code out. These exchanges, banks, um, big brokerages, they still do this. Hey, bring money into our platform and we'll give you $500 cash or something like that. So when we think of tokens and navigating this world, it's a big opportunity and crypto just makes this entire system more efficient and better. And frankly, I think it aligns incentives uh, better than, you know, discount rides or free stocks or whatever. I'm not picking on those businesses. I think they're great, but crypto makes it better. I'm going to pay close attention. I suggest anybody listening, follow Jackson. He writes about this in ways you can understand. He talks about it in ways I could finally understand my final two cents for my original 2% that I want to put at risk under your careful active management. And we do think it demands active management. There's no more evolving dynamic marketplace than this. I get excited about anybody listening to this, no matter their sophistication or nest egg size level, because the, the individual has an advantage here, in my opinion. It's the first of only a couple of new asset classes for an investor like me, where the individual is ahead of the institutions. As a guy who chose to escape Wall Street, that gets me excited. I, I think it's, it, it's the individual's turn. They were early. They were first. The institutions are just now trying to catch up. If you only knew one thing about this new asset class is that smart money was piling in behind you, that's not a bad place to be, whatever the investment is. That's number one. Um, number two, I think the individual has the advantage if they will just take one piece of advice from Jackson, it is to fit this in a context of a simple playbook. As long as you have safe assets and sacred assets before you invest in speculative assets, you will never have scared money. All of the biggest and the smartest and most concentrated of the so-called smart money on Wall Street, they all eventually get carried out on their shield in every market crash in any investment class for the same reason. It's not the market, is they had too much leverage. They had too much concentration. Theirs was forced selling. If your small piece in speculative assets is never scared by definition, then you will never be a forced seller. You can be an active manager. Amen. I agree. I agree. Anybody has any questions or if anything you want to chat crypto, talk shop, please reach out to us. Our website is freedomdaysolutions.com. If you add slash crypto to the end of that, you can see our crypto uh, section of the website. And if you've got any questions, safe money, sacred money, speculative money questions, please send them our way, team at freedomdaysolutions.com. And we will see you guys next week. This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice 
nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed.